All right. Well, welcome to the fourth episode of Hannah's and Ruth's, where we discuss a book that we read in the late 1990s called A Widow for One Year. I am Brittany Richards, and I'm Casey Burkholder. And we are two best friends. We're the two <laughs> best friends that anyone could have. <laughs> We're two best friends talking uh, to each other about a book we love across a great distance during the strange time. Well said. There you go. That's a good sentence. I feel like we're going to listen back to this in 20 years. God willing, we're still alive. And the next pandemic hasn't crushed us. But anyway, I think it will be interesting as like a time capsule of this, the strange part of the third wave of the yes. pandemic in Canada. So my friends in Hong Kong are on like wave seven. Oh my God. Yeah. I was about to say, I wish we had thought of this earlier in the pandemic because we are now in month 13 of the pandemic in North America. Um, however, we might not even be halfway done. Who knows? <laughs> just some kind of weird thing that happens forever. Hey, my parents are getting vaccinated tomorrow. Hey, I don't think I told you this. I am in a hot spot here in Toronto and I'm eligible for a vaccine. They've opened it up to people 18 to 50, because if you're over 50, you can get it. Um, but we can't register through the provincial system. We have to wait until a pop-up clinic is announced in our neighborhood. And then we go wait in a line, which I am totally willing to do. Yeah. Um, so we're just keep, we're checking every day. This was announced on Friday and it's now Tuesday. So Fingers crossed I'm vaccinated within the next couple weeks. God, that's so exciting. I'm, I will feel, I will breathe a sigh of relief. My mom, my parents are getting the AstraZeneca vaccine. And my mom was like, well, gosh, I hope we don't get blood clots. And I was like, did you worry about that when you smoked for years? <laughs> to which her answer was LOL. But it's like, I'm sure that you never thought about blood clots when you were a smoker no. for years. Did I tell you the text I got from my dad when he got vaccinated? No. Because I think you like it. He texted me and all the text said was, another year older, another year Pfizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the top of the top. Lucky guy. He got the cream of the crop. Good old Alberta. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't turn off my work email. No and worries. People are emailing at night. Of course, boundaries. Agreed. I've taken to emailing people immediately on evenings and weekends and, and just rudely writing. Uh, my regular work hours are <laughs> eight to four, but then I just like end up following, following. So you respond to the email outside of work hours with your work hours. That's right. So what I do is I, I liked this one. I got one last week. The email came in at like 5.47. So... Yeah, I saw it, but to me, it's after five, doesn't need a response. I get a follow-up email the next day at 5.30 a.m. Any update? And this is for a tour request for like next week. So I responded, hi, like I'm on my computer from nine to five. That's a total lie. It's more than that. But I'm like, never you can't send me an email at 5.30 p.m. and then send me like an urgent follow-up at 5.30 a.m. No, 
right? No, you can't. You shouldn't. That's especially like, and this was not an important thing. If it's important, I'm happy to whatever. But this was not. <sighs> I feel like we're really talking. <laughs> I know. 1958 was a simpler time. There was no email. <laughs> That's right. And there was no cell phone. So a call would come to your landline and you were home or you weren't home. Or the line was busy. There was no voicemail. There were no answering machines. Speaking of answering machines, I recall a tale from the 80s when they first came out. Maybe it was the late 70s. And people would be like, they've got one of those machines. And they wouldn't leave a message because it was too weird. <laughs> I resent people leave voicemail. Mm, mm -hmm. Just send Huge pain in the ass. An email. I'll like, be really, I'll even get back to you outside of office hours. Yeah, I'll go that far. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the chapter, I want to make a proposition. And that is, can we do more than one chapter? Or this will take eons. So since you are reading the paper copy of the book and I'm reading the e-copy, I actually can't see how many chapters there are. I, I probably can figure it out, but you tell me. Like I've noticed I'm I am five percent through the book, which is nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it looks like there's about twenty chapters per section and three sections. <laughs> okay, so some quick math that sounds like about sixty chapters, which is you know like five oh, seasons. Five yeah. seasons of this show. So sure. Uh, let's. What if we read like? four chapters they're like three pages long yeah the chapters are very short that seems reasonable okay perfect on to unhappy mothers <laughs> yes so for me this conjured up and this is interesting because this didn't exist when we read the book the first time but for me this time it conjured up images of betty draper oh yeah the unhappiest mother, a smart woman who wasn't stimulated and like meddled because her intelligence was not being used. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking about, I guess how lonely it is to be a mother and I didn't like the way that the, the like unhappy mothers were sort of homogenized, like they were all the same. Yeah, that's a great point. Which to me just made it feel more as though they were like a trope or a stand-in or just like, I think maybe that he's trying to make the point that they're sexual objects in the eyes of the dad, Ted. And so maybe that's why they're, treated in like a flat like, like that's the way ted saw them so that's maybe, the way yeah. they're being yeah but again and even the way that ruth is in this chapter is so strange to me like the family does not have great boundaries about sexuality i think no um no it's really weird at the end of the chapter how 
Ted is like involved with another young woman, but it, she's younger than Ruth at this point, but not married. And he like expects her to, he's seeking her approval, which is messed up. Like as a, as a parental figure to seek the approval of your children on, in a mate of a mate that's that's younger than your child to me that just is a little odd <laughs> yeah no it's so weird yeah i i don't understand the the way that ted is made out to me as a parent like it doesn't make sense to me i mean i'm sure there if you can imagine it it probably exists but oh undoubtedly yeah gross like it's just it's uncomfortable I must have been titillated by it as a young person like I don't remember being put off I also had no. different ideas maybe because of the culture about what it meant for like old men and young women to fraternize I think I had different ideas about that that have been nuanced by life experience and like hands-on experience of the culture oh yeah I'm pretty sure the first time I read this I would have been going through with the filter of well he just can't help it right he can't help himself he's a man he can't help it yeah I think for me it would have been more like oh this is very salacious like (laughs) a story about sex so I will just take it very seriously because clearly they know things that I don't know about the world, but I would just like listen and be- That's a good point, yeah. Like astounded by the the lack of boundaries, which I wouldn't have called it lack of boundaries. No, in fact, I may have viewed it as a close relationship. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I'd taken notes back then. Yeah, for me, I feel like, the way to go about speaking about sexuality with your children is being like open and honest, but also having clear boundaries. So, okay. Going back to the nudity and how, you know, in the third chapter, it was talked about in a non-sexual way. Yeah. You seem to be a fan of that. Well, I think that's just sort of like what it's like to live in a house with other people like there's nudity (laughs) people are gonna be naked sometimes it happens there's a shower or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah the thing I don't remember is a the thing I didn't remember sorry it was about Ted's drinking like I didn't remember that Eddie was hired as a chauffeur to be a designated driver because of his drinking yeah, I don't know if I remembered that. I, I certainly didn't understand when the author says that Ted would pass out from, he slept like a stone because he would pass out from the alcohol, but then he'd wake up at four or five and couldn't get back to sleep. Now, I mean, that's my life. I live that. <laughs> I also felt seen in the worst way. I was like, that's not good. No. And there's no and way, the way that he understood. writes it, just like, which happens to most heavy drinkers. And I was like, hey. <laughs> okay, but in our defense, it wasn't a pandemic in 1958. <laughs> yeah. But I think they were probably bored in similar ways. Like the world was smaller. Yes, that's true. Yeah. 
I don't know. We we sort of get our first introduction to Hannah, but not by name. That's right, not by name. It oh, talks oh, we about yeah. we know it's Hannah, but it talks about Ruth's roommate. <laughs> Sounds like in high school and college. Yeah. Um it's very weird. And their panties hit the ground or something. Is that yeah, that's right. And I remember um you highlighted that line when we were young because yeah as I read it I heard your voice saying it, not the no I remember so it's not in this chapter but this this chapter kind of hints at it but in a later chapter they develop a code for when they see a hot guy and it's did you hear that sound and there's they don't say the follow-up line but the follow-up line is my panties falling to the ground but you know what that just i i cannot speak for all women but you know what that never did catch on between us and perhaps because it's unnatural well that's for sure <laughs> all this to say my panties falling to the ground does not necessarily depict the sighting of a hot man it doesn't really work i bought this skirt sight unseen uh on this used clothing website right people will describe oh, yeah. the clothing and it's fake leather and you really like it but when i move in the chair it makes the loudest sound like i'm squeaking rubber boots can you hear it no <laughs> <laughs> it's like george and the swishy suit yeah it's awful but anyway it doesn't matter i like it it's fine Okay, did we did we get to the points about unhappy mothers? I still don't give a set. I still don't get a sense that Miriam is a character in this book. She's just like I want well, to know her as a person. Well, she but, comes back at the end. Not much I remember, yeah. but she does. She disappears. And oh, here's something that I noticed that I don't know if I noticed before. And I'm sure I've read this book more than once, actually, but I think I may have read it twice, and this will be my third time through it. Um, Ruth's fear of closets. She talks about her fear of closets and how she feels like a dress is going to pull her in and hold her and keep her in the closet. And I don't think that I caught on that that's a foreshadow because I did she does spend some time in a closet later, which we'll we will get, get to, to later, yeah. which we will get to. Um, but I don't think I noticed that foreshadowing before. No, me neither. And didn't notice it until you just said it right now. Like, <laughs> so that was interesting for me to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't understand the relationship between Ruth and Ted. It seems like um, not a parental relationship that I understand. Well, it feels like Ted is always looking for, maybe it's validation, acceptance, yeah, it's love. love, all of that. And he can get it temporarily from these lovers because they start out as fans oh my kid is your biggest fan and then 
And then of course he's like, let me draw you and your kid. And then all of a sudden he's just drawing the unhappy mother's nude. And then he's done with them or they're done with him or what have you. So that validation is very temporary, but it seems like because he gets it in like a sexual way, that's how he feels love or that's how he feels validation. He doesn't really know how to get it from Ruth who seems to be like the one person who's stuck around who he really wants it from. And so maybe that's why he's seeking her approval when he takes this young lover who's not married and who's not a mother. I think it was to shock her or to like, uh, oh, to get in, like to get a rise out of her. But I thought it was very strange in the book how they suggested that Ruth would ask herself, like when Ted gave the drawings back to the mothers after the affair Mm -hmm. was over. Mm -hmm. And then Ruth was wondering if it would make them happier to receive them. And I don't think it would make them happier. Well, and also, what are you going to do with those drawings? Like, you can't keep them in your home. What if your husband finds them? This is this is an era where if you get divorced, you don't you're not getting alimony. Like, <laughs> so what are you doing with yeah. these drawings? I think it would be humiliating. Like you don't want to keep so them. Hurtful. I wasn't good enough for you to keep these drawings. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking I'm the only woman that you are drawing. Right. Right. I don't know you're doing this with every unhappy mother in New England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, how does that feel? Did we do it? Did we yeah, I think we did it. We got right down into the old comatose urine semen gutter and... Uh, I made fun of that film. (laughs) And next time we will do chapters five through seven. That's correct. And then we'll, uh, we'll really be moving forward. That's, that seems excellent. All right. Well, until then, see you later. See you next time. Bye.